0: Good evening mets fans and welcome back to the pleasant good evening podcast i'm sam levowitz he's jack hendon and in just a few minutes we will bring on our guest for today who we are very very excited about if you've read the title of the episode you probably have a good idea who it is it's uh it's current mets pitcher trevor trevor hildenberger excuse me uh trevor hildenberger will join us in just a few minutes and we are very excited to talk to trevor uh, and get his uh, his feelings on the on the current Mets team and, and spring training and, and what what his experience with the Mets has been like. But before we do, we got some some stuff to talk about. So Jack, how are you doing on this absolutely gorgeous Sunday afternoon?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. Um, the work is starting to get difficult, you know, being a college student, but we're just gonna have to figure it out. How you doing? I'm doing good. I got my first dose of the COVID
0: vaccine today. The, the weather is, is fantastic. Uh, Syracuse, by the time you guys listen to this at home, I'll, you, you'll know if Syracuse made it to the Sweet 16 or not in the NCAA tournament. However, uh, for our purposes, they have tip-off in about an hour and 20 minutes against the number three seed West Virginia in the round of 32. So I'm nervous for that one, but hoping to good, keep the, the good, good tides rolling uh, for Syracuse men's basketball. Uh, but, you know, what else is going on today? Mets played a game today. Nobody saw it because it was Jacob DeGrom versus Max Scherzer. So, you know, who the hell would want to see that on TV? Who the the hell would want to televise that? Uh, As of right now, not not me, certainly not me. I don't want to ever watch Jacob DeGrom pitch. Uh, As of uh, nine minutes ago, the Mets were up 6-2 in the ninth inning. So that could end at any moment. Uh, That's just according to my notifications that I pulled up on my phone real quick. There was a pitching change on MLB at bat. Uh, But, yeah, Francisco Lindor hit a home run off Max Scherzer, as did Michael Conforto, his first of the spring. Uh, So exciting stuff happening down in Port St. Lucie today. But there is some news that we want to cover before we bring on Hildenberger, Hildy, as he's so affectionately called. Uh, And so why don't we do that real quick, Jack? Why don't you tee us up?
1: Yeah, uh, so the pitching depth, which we have been so um, excited about, I guess is the word to use the thing that we, I think, have really praised the uh, saying the praises of, of the front office for putting together. Uh, it's getting tested very early. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, uh, after undergoing an MRI, found that he's torn his hamstring. I believe it's a grade one tear. Uh, so he's probably going to be out until about Memorial Day. Uh, so the number two starter is already down. The hierarchy of the Mets rotation behind Jacob deGrom changes as a result. Taiwan Walker uh, becomes a number three. Marcus Stroman becomes a number two. And all of a sudden, I think that back of the rotation is now not so much a one-man scrap. It's three pitchers fighting for two spots. Uh, Those three pitchers being David Peterson, uh, Jordan Yamamoto, and Joey Lucchese. And I... I don't have any qualms about, I think, the, the work that the front office did. I don't think that the Mets necessarily failed in preparing, uh, but I'm also definitely worried about what's going to happen because Carlos Carrasco is not going to be the guy pitching games now. It's going to be, um, you know, somebody else who isn't – someone who isn't as good as Carlos Carrasco. And, uh, I mean, you hope that he comes back and, and and I think ramps up effectively so that it's there's no – weird layover because we've seen this with veterans before uh where they miss time to start a season and then they kind of they're they're a little bit rusty out the gate hopefully that doesn't happen um but the pitching staff I think has always kind of been like the thing that's going to determine how far this team goes because we know what the offense is capable of but right about now it's 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 definitely a little bit more tenuous than it was before
0: yeah at least on the bright side it's instead of a you know, going from Carlos Carrasco to like Corey Oswalt, like we've done in the past, it's Carlos Carrasco becoming someone with a little more upside, like a uh, Jordan Yamamoto or Joey Lucchese. So this is, you know, you can survive this for a couple months. If, you know, hopefully uh, it does seem based on what Rojas is, is saying, it seems David Peterson's got a spot locked up, uh, which should he is another conversation. Cause he hasn't had a great spring I think he's only got one strikeout across the seven or so innings he's thrown so i, I you know that's maybe there maybe he's showing stuff in bullpens that the mets are blown away by but i'm pretty sure rojas said in a press conference the other day that david peterson's got a spot uh, in this rotation so i guess that last spot comes down to uh or, or yamamoto and yamamoto they both had good springs for the most part Luke lucasie was a little bit later to getting in game action but They've both been pretty good. So I'm curious to see what they do with that last spot. I don't necessarily have a preference at the moment. Maybe Yamamoto, just because he's gotten in more game action. Um, But they both look really good, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess the thing that made the most sense, if you were to just choose two, and then option one, Peterson has the most options. Uh, So I guess in that, you know, framework, it makes the most sense to sort of have him on the back burner and I don't doubt that he's going to get opportunities to pitch anyway like this won't really hamper his development. I'm pretty sure he's never pitched in Triple A anyway so I guess that's maybe a concern for them and they know what he can do in the majors. Um and it works also I think cuz he's a ground ball pitcher. Even if the contact is kind of hard, the Mets have the uh you know they have the tools to manage that now because they have Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil's playing second base you'll just have to make do with JD at third. Guillaume at third is a, is a, is a gift anyway. Um, I think for me, the thing that was kind of a bummer about it was I had this vision. I mean, the other thing too, just before I get into that vision, it's that um, you know Taiwan Walker and Marcus Stroman are not necessarily like locks in their own sense. And that's not to say they're not good because obviously they have a lot of talent and obviously Marcus Stroman's had a good spring as has Walker to an extent, but, you know, Walker hasn't pitched in more than I think 25 games in a season since like 2017 and Stroman didn't pitch at all last year. These are things that I think the Mets were wise, I think not to be too overly concerned about, but also like Carrasco getting hurt is a lot more damaging to, I think the innings aspect of this than uh, Walker getting hurt, for instance, because Walker can still get hurt. Uh, his velo can still suffer like he's he's a little bit more of a a work in progress and I think uh, we're willing to admit so that's kind of uh, that's a little bit concerning but also like the depth is fine they can manage it I don't know
0: no I'm agree I'm gonna agree with with you that there's uh, there's concern I mean anything could happen with any pitcher at any time because pitchers break Uh, but yeah this this could be a situation which all three of those guys, Peterson, Lucchese, uh, Yamamoto, all wind up in the rotation sooner rather than later, which is not the situation we want. But you know, there's also Jared Ikoff behind them, and then there is Corey Walt, and there's some there's a couple more arms back there who can kind of take that uh, next up kind of roll that you know next man up roll if the first three guys have to you know find their way in the major league rotation so who knows what happens this rotation just you know you hope that this team can stay afloat and compete at a an above 500 level before memorial day before like june hits and hopefully you're getting carrasco and then Cindergaard back in short order because that would be a huge boost to this team uh mm-hmm. and hopefully by that time you have a, a, a the best problem that you could ever have on your hands in which uh, you have to send down a guy or demote a guy who's pitching really well. You know, you don't want the demotion to be an easy decision. So hopefully one of these guys or multiple of these guys that have to step up in the wake of Carrasco's injury do step up. Uh, elsewhere in kind of injury news, we got hit with this today on Sunday, a couple of Mets bullpen guys are dealing with some things. Uh, Drew Smith, who's had a, a really nice spring, is dealing with some some shoulder uh, uh, soreness, stiffness, soreness, I think. Yeah. Which is nice. a little concerning, but you know, I'm right there with you, Drew, you know, my arms a little starting to get a little sore from the COVID vaccine today, man. So I'm, I'm right with you. Hopefully that you recover, uh, just as soon as I will from this. And, uh, Arodis Viscaino, who's been intriguing. I don't want to say he's been good. He's been intriguing, uh, has also, is also dealing with, uh, some elbow soreness. Um, so, you know, also keeping an eye on the bullpen depth and, and where that's going with these two guys who are more on the depth side. I think Drew Smith was probably going to make the, the pen uh, before yeah. this this injury. Um, who knows? But just, uh, you know, keeping in mind with our conversations today that we're going to be having with Trevor about bullpens, uh, you know, maybe maybe more of an open shot for him uh, at this bullpen as some of these guys are, are a little banged up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one thing, and this was going back to like my vision earlier, um, because I know the Mets had talked a little bit about making Joey Lucchese into like a makeshift long relief guy that kind of takes a hit now that everyone's a little bit in higher demand to be a starter now. Um, And that's kind of unfortunate, because I think that if you had been able to get like a five inning start out of Jordan Yamamoto, and then like two or three relief innings from Joey Lucchese, that little like tandem operation could have worked really well. And that kind of, you know, there's now a crimp in that, which is sort of a bummer. Um, but as far as the the state of the bullpen right now, I mean, assuming they go with the five man bench, uh, you're going to probably have, I think, eight or nine spots left over, right? I mean, I'm just doing the math now. It's eight, nine, five. So that's, um, that's, yeah. So there are eight bullpen spots and obviously the first four or five, it's going to be Diaz, it's going to be Trevor May. Uh, Miguel Castro has looked really good. I've been really impressed with him. Still has uh, not allowed a hit this spring. Stonks up on Miguel Castro. Stonks are up. Robert Caselmans looked okay. Aaron Loop will be there. I think they'll probably keep Jerry's Familia. What happens to and Batanzas isn't so clear. I mean those last like two spots behind those six. It's kind of anyone's game now, especially now that Drew Smith, who I think was the front runner, is down.
0: Tarpley's looked good and another guy who's looked good who technically if you want to get technical can't make the team because he got optioned to minor league camp or reassigned to minor league camp in my opinion way too early in spring training after just two outings uh is the guy that we're going to talk to today so that would probably be a good time to bring on Trevor Hildenberger I think right let's intro him a little bit
1: yeah so for those who don't know about Trevor Hildenberger, Hildy, uh, he's very active and engaging. Twitter follow, definitely give him a follow. What's his? Goddamn, I got to get his handle. It's just it's t at underscore. t underscore hildy. Yeah. At t underscore hildy uh, on Twitter. Definitely give him a follow, but also just keep an eye out because if the Mets know what's good for them, he's probably going to get some reps this year at the big league level because he's looked really good this spring. Uh, he's thrown two in a third innings. He's gotten seven outs all by strikeout. So that means he's averaging 27 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, Drafted out of California Berkeley in 2014 uh, as a fifth year student. Um, This was uh, sort of something that wasn't always uh, on the the docket for him as far as being a major league relief pitcher. But when he arrived with the twins, he actually performed so well as rookie year that he made it onto that playoff roster in 2017. Had an ERA below uh, two, below three. It was a 321 ERA, which is pretty good. Uh, The stuff has looked good so far. I mean, he doesn't throw that hard, but he has a good little sinker changeup combo that that throws hitters off balance. He's been working on a slider a lot. Uh, Injuries have kind of put him at odds the past few years. Um, He was non-tendered by the Minnesota Twins in 2019 signed on with the Red Sox, but didn't get a chance to pitch at their alternate site in 2020. So it's been a little bit of an odyssey for him, but we're really hoping we get to see more of him this year. Uh, And we're really hoping his return to the majors comes in a a Met uniform because there couldn't be a better guy for this to uh, uh, happen to. So without further ado, um, Trevor Hildenberger.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you so much for coming on, Trevor. We're like really stoked to have
0: you. Uh, you know, you are the second major leaguer that we've had on the podcast. You and Ty Kelly both kind of, uh, you know, like lefty kind of Mets dudes, which is super fun for us. So we'll jump right in. Uh, you're there in Port St. Lucie. You're at Mets camp. You've been pitching with the Mets. You've been doing your side work. You've been in games and stuff like that. First, first year with the Mets, first new organization that you've been with in a couple of years. What's the vibe like at camp? I know for us as fans, it's super exciting to watch all these new guys. You are one of the new guys. What is the vibe like?
2: Uh, it's been great. Yeah, we've been down here for a little over a month now. I think um, coming off this offseason, there was a ton of excitement around this team just because of new ownership. And, uh, you know, you get a guy like Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, and you signed some free agents, Trevor May, uh, James McCann. Um, so this team looks looks really good on paper, and so far we've looked really good in camp, so it, uh, it's been fun to be a part of.
0: Right, right. And uh, But for you personally, you know, it, it seems like you guys are having a lot of fun, and it's been fun for us to watch. Are you, are you guys having as much fun as it looks like you're having? Because it looks like this is a really cohesive unit that gels well.
2: Uh, I think so. I'm having fun. I think COVID protocols make it uh, a little bit different than other spring trainings I've had. And in terms of like getting to know guys, you know, you're not supposed to eat together in like big groups. You're not supposed to hang out in the clubhouse for too long and you kind of have separate pods and work groups and stuff. So you, you get to know those guys real well, but not everybody in the organization. But um, so far I've, I've had a blast Um, you know, you get your work in, in the morning, and I'm usually back at the hotel by two or three o'clock.
1: That's cool, yeah. Is there, is there anything about the organization that you've sort of come into that has impressed you the most, or uh, grown on you in a way that maybe hasn't with other organizations?
2: Uh, So far, like, the communication has been really clear, and often, I think, like, their expectations for you, um, feedback after every outing or every, you know, bullpen, live VP, something like that. And just like, you know, this is what we think you can improve on. This is what we think you do. Well, you know, attack those weaknesses and and, and stick with your strengths. And, you know, this is, we're excited to watch you compete, but this is what we want you to work on. So uh, that's been good to hear and good feedback to have because not all organizations do that.
0: Right. So why the Mets? What was the draw to this organization? And, you know, uh, there's some guys that came into this organization that, you know, uh, Trevor may signed shortly before you, he's a former teammate of yours. Jeremy Hefner is the pitching coach here. He's someone who, who you were with in the twins organization. Uh, did that, you know, play a, those two guys, did that play a, an impact on your decision to sign here? Were there other offers, you know, why the Mets?
2: Yeah, sure. Those two guys definitely, you know, having familiarity especially with a pitching coach is, is, awesome. And someone like Hefner who I worked with in Minnesota for a couple of years and he was my bullpen coach in 2019 is it's great to have a relationship um, before coming into camp, uh, but there weren't a ton of other offers. You know, when the Mets offered me a contract in November or December, I was, I was amped, you know, to keep my career going. I'm 30. Uh, I didn't play last year um, with COVID and so I was just really excited to get an opportunity to, to show them that I'm healthy and um, can still pitch at the major league level.
1: Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, I mean that, that for us too, I think that was really exciting because the Mets haven't really, I think invested in like the sidearm sphere of pitchers in, in, in quite a while. And I know just um, from watching you a little bit in Minnesota, like the sinker changeup stuff is really intriguing. The sliders looked really good in the spring too. I don't mean to, um, you know, gas you up while you're on the, on the pod with us. But I mean, what in particular this spring, I mean, what have you been working on you think uh, or even during the off season, is there anything that you're really focusing on uh, especially so that you can make it back to the show? I mean, we would love to see you in in the orange and blue at some point this year. Uh, you know, what's the, what's, what's been the main focus for you?
2: So over the past, let's see, since 2000, 19, I was working on it last spring training when I was with the Red Sox and all what seemed like the longest offseason of all time in 2020 uh, was tightening up my slider. You know, Sergio Romo was there in 2019 with the Twins, and, and I learned a slider grip from him. Um, and he has longer fingers and longer thumbs than I do, but he has his fingers spread across the uh, two seams, like across the label, basically. Uh, and he spins a slider. He has a few different ones, uh, a little bit slower, a little harder, um, a little bigger. And so, tinkering with that took me a long time, but I feel like um, it's tightened up a bit since the last time I was in the big leagues. I feel pretty confident throwing him for a strike, um, repeatability, consistency. And then, when I got into camp, um, I've been working with a pitching coach with the Mets. His name is Mike Cather, Palm Cat, who also went to Cal. A little bit before me, but um, he was a sidearm in the big leagues with the Braves. So we've been working together on getting my sinker to have a little bit more depth straight down and not just um, horizontal movement, like running into right-handers and away from left-handers. So having that that depth on a sinker and tightening up that slider probably been the two biggest things that I've been working on. I feel like my changeup, um, if I can keep it where it's been the last few years, uh, it's in a good place. But yeah, it's a good changeup. Sure so
0: one thing I want to ask about uh, because this has kind of been a seemingly a point of emphasis for the Mets this offseason as they've transitioned to the new ownership group and kind of bringing in new coaches and all that stuff is the analytical side of baseball which is you know in our research with uh, you know about you we, we found out that you're you're a guy who likes that kind of stuff Rap soda stuff like that uh has that really kind of made an impact on on your spring so far. Has there has it been kind of obvious that the Mets are really trying to incorporate this new tech? Because I you know you weren't with the, the organization previous to this year, but this the Mets were a little behind the curve on this, this Rap Soto pitch tracking, pitch tech stuff. So, you know, as fans who are Yeah, I was just gonna say as fans Absolutely. who are, are more like keyed in on this stuff, it's exciting for us now that they have it, uh, but you are actually using it. So what is it, you know, been like for you using this stuff
2: yeah they've been uh i don't want to say stressing or emphasizing but definitely utilizing um trackman and edutronic slow motion cameras um in every bullpen session and then the trackman is obviously in the stadium for every outing that you have uh in a game but also on the backfields and light vp so you can have that that those measurables that you can look at and say, oh, I didn't feel as good today. And my slider was doing this, like say release height or release uh distance extension, something like that. If you know that your extension was a little bit shorter that day, maybe your mechanics were a little bit off. And then you have to look at the video and tinker with why wasn't my extension as good, which made my slider pop up, which made it up in the zone and hang. And that's, you know, if you didn't get feedback from the hitters in that, you can get that from the measurables like you're talking about with either Rapsodo or Trackman. Edgetronic slow motion cameras showed me that I was cutting under the ball, like on the side I was cutting under it and kind of throwing the ball uphill. Um, So I've tried to make that adjustment to get on top of it a little bit more. But, yeah, it's definitely a tool that the Mets are using to get guys um, to make adjustments and be better. So it's been fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Trevor, you've talked at length uh, on other pods about how you came to be a sidearm pitcher. I know you've, this is something that, uh, you know, you've probably had to answer a lot of times, uh, but for the people who haven't been as fortunate to have uh, gotten to know you to this point, particularly uh, the Met fans, can you tell people just a little, just a little bit about the story behind that? Cause it's, it's a pretty funny one.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I was a junior at Cal Uh, I hadn't pitched much in my first three years, I think maybe 12 innings combined, and I was waiting to throw like a midweek bullpen, and the guy ahead of me had the wrong practice jersey on because he had lost all of his, and so my coach said, you know, why are you wearing number 37? That's, one, that's not your number. Two, I picture a big corner power hitting outfielder, Uh, and this is like a skinny lefty, and I said, oh, it's interesting that you have like certain perceptions of numbers. You know, what do you see when you see 26, which was my jersey number? Uh, and Mike knew that he was a pitching coach at the time, and now he's the head coach at Cal. Uh, said, you know, there was a side owner from UCLA. Um, he was number 26. And, you know, actually there was another one from Washington. He was 26 too. Have you uh, ever thrown a bullpen that way? And I said, no. He's like, all right, step up. Like, do it right now. See how it feels. Uh, so I did and I was like around the strike zone felt comfortable didn't hurt nothing and he said all right that's how you throw now you know go off to summer ball do your thing like take it seriously it's not a a trick or a gimmick or a joke like uh, treat it like a real adjustment and we'll see how it goes
1: that's that. It, that always reminds me of that meme with the, uh, you know, where the guys like knocking over a really small block, and then it ends up culminating in a huge block. It's it's you, know, Trevor Hildenberger's teammate forgetting a practice jersey, and then we get to like, like, you know, dudes posting we... a dudes posting a sub four for the Twins in
0: 2018, all because his uh yep. his teammate wore the wrong jersey. That's yeah, really funny. It's
2: funny. Funny how life works like that. Like, would I would I be playing baseball at 30 if it wasn't for this bonehead losing his jersey?
1: Yeah, he, he he's entitled to part of your salary.
2: I him a beer.
1: You owe a beer for sure. Yeah. You and uh Aaron Loop can go get some beers with this guy. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yes.
0: Such a uh so like uh you're an unconventional pitcher. We're talking about the sidearm stuff. I, I'm just curious because when I was playing high school ball, it's something I to- toyed around with a little bit because it's fun. It's fun to throw that way. It's silly. What's, like, your yeah, favorite cool. part? What's – you know, I love me some sidearmers. What's, what's your favorite part of just, like, throwing weird?
2: Um, like, the culture. I mean – Finding a catch play partner sometimes can be difficult because some guys are reluctant to play catch with me just because it's either, like, it's just funky or they're uncomfortable. They don't want to catch like a flat ground. But once you find a good catch play partner, like just stick with that guy throughout a whole season, similar distance, uh, you know each other, you can give feedback on, on off-speed and stuff. That's probably my favorite part. Sometimes if you can pair up with another funky guy, either whether another side armor or a lefty thumber or something like that. Like that's, that's fun.
0: Who's been that guy for you so far this spring? Is it, is it Aaron Loop, Who's the other kind of side army dude that we got
2: in playing catch with Tom Wendell. Uh, okay. Um, who's new to the organization. I think he's with the Red Sox last year in the Phillies before that.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I was going to ask what, what your least favorite part is too. If that's your favorite part is the, uh, is the inability sometimes to find, Someone who will throw with you? Is that the least favorite part?
2: I think t- doing all the extra forearm work is my least favorite part. I think is it it's like yeah, a little bit easier on my shoulder than throwing overhand. Um, and I still take care of my shoulder and stuff, but it puts a lot more stress on my forearm. Uh, it's like hard pronation on my sinker and my changeup. So taking time out of every day to stretch, roll out, uh, treat or strengthen my forearm. Um, a lot of extra work. So that's probably not my least favorite part. It's not always exciting.
1: Sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, I just brief story about myself, I guess. When I was a freshman in college, I actually tried out for our baseball team uh, as a pitcher. And I'm a lefty, so I have a little bit more leeway to uh, not throw so hard, but I really didn't throw hard. Um, and after my first bullpen, I actually decided to scrap overhand and try sidearm submarine because. I I'd, I'd also experimented with it a little bit had mixed results. I didn't make the team. Uh, right, it wasn't it wasn't that great a success. But one thing that I found to be kind of uh, difficult was that no one really knows how to give you like help with your mechanics when you don't throw conventionally. I mean, is that something that 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 got to you at some point? It, at any point, at being a professional player, where you didn't feel like you were, were really getting the help you needed because people couldn't speak to that language of throwing
2: that's actually a great point when i got <laughs> when i first got drafted uh the pitching coordinator for the twins was in four myers and all the new draft picks were there i'm um, kind of working out like post-draft uh, before we all got sent off to either you know short season or wherever we were going and he saw me playing catch and he's like throw the ball right And I'm like, uh, (laughs) that's how I, yeah, that's how I throw. I don't know. So I did it again. He's like, throw the ball right. I was like, yo, like, you guys drafted me. Like, this is how I throw. And he's like, oh, all right, well, like, okay, basically. And so after, after the couple days, he kind of met with everybody and was like, you know, you, you got to work on your curveball. You got to work on fastball command. Blah blah. And he got to me and he's like you know, you, you got it, you know, go get him. He didn't really have much to say because he wasn't, he had never thrown sidearm and he, and he, the mechanics are a little bit different. It's a shorter stride. It's different with the hips. It's a different finish, whatever. Um, so yeah, I've definitely run into that um, at some point in my baseball career, but also at the same time, you know, guys don't, sometimes in the minor leagues, you can get tinkered with and a little too much. And that can like be detrimental to you, you know, guys constantly being, you know, finish like this, try your glove side like this, try your arm path like this. And that never really happened with me. So I was able to find a delivery that I liked and repeated and um, they let me do my thing and go off and just compete on the mound and not have to worry about other stuff. So it's
1: a blessing and a curse, I guess. Sure. There's, there's, yeah. I mean, there aren't many like you, so it's, I imagine that's, that's definitely pretty tough. Um, sort of panning out for a second, going back to the Mets.
0: Before we do that, I actually have a yeah. yeah, question relating to sidearm. So uh, you're not the first funky thrower that we've had on the podcast. We had a Mets prospect by the name of uh, Josh Hedgeka on over the summer or, uh, or towards the end of the summer, who's a, uh, you know, he's he's a little bit on the lower level side in terms of development so far, but he's a more classical submariner. And and he was telling us how, when he was first getting into it, he was going to these kind of sidearm camps and he, he met like Chad Bradford and, you know, other guys like that. So I was curious if, you know, you haven't mentioned any, any sidearm or submarine camps per se that you attended, but has there been a guy like Bradford was for him, uh, Who's, who's kind of been helpful to your development as an unconventional pitcher?
2: When I first switched, um, my coach told me to like watch as much video as I could on sidearm throwers. So I didn't go any, go to any camps. Did he mention Sidearm Nation by name? because I know the guy that did, that. It I might have been
0: it guy. might have been Sidearm Nation, yeah. Okay, for sure. Um,
2: but yeah, I watched video on Day O'Day. no Day. Joe Smith, Dan Quisenberry, um, Steve Ciszek, guys like that. Um, I didn't watch a ton of Chad Bradford. He's way lower than me. Right. He's like Tyler Rogers
0: from the Giants. Mm-hmm. Has there been a guy that you've had you kind of a, a personal relationship with who's kind of helped you, uh, taken you under your wing at all or, or anything like that? or a guy that you just talked a to. on
2: picture? Uh. Uh-uh. Really. Um, no, not really.
0: Interesting. So you're kind of just doing it based all on uh, on video and, and finding out what works for you
1: through work.
2: Yeah, trial trial and error, baby. Yeah.
1: That's Very really cool. interesting. That's like I like that a lot. I mean, not everyone I think needs like a you know a a, a mentor that kind of thing. It's you know some people are more independent like that. Um, Anyway, so, sorry about that. I was going to ask a question, but I didn't realize, Sam, you had uh, more sidearm stuff to take care of. But, All good, King. All good. Yeah. Uh, sort of panning out to uh, hitters. Can you repeat that?
2: So the best feedbacks from the hitters. The hitters, hitters will let you know if you're effective or not.
1: Yeah. That's – I mean, who who's like your, your favorite or least favorite, I guess, guy, like hardest guy that you've had to throw to or p- I guess pitch to? at the big league level, like just most intim- – maybe most intimidating or most frustrating. I mean, have you thrown a Guillorme yet during any, like, uh, sim games or batting practices?
2: No, I haven't faced him yet. I saw that epic at bat he had against Hicks, but I have not faced him. I – when I was with the Twins, we played Boston a lot in spring training because they're in the same city. Mm-hmm. And I faced Mookie Betts, I don't know, seven or eight times, and I think that <laughs> – and He never missed a barrel. Like, he never fouled a ball off. He never took a strike. If I threw it anywhere near the zone, it was barreled. I think he was, like, six for seven off me or something. Also, uh, didn't enjoy facing Lindor, and thank God I don't have to do that anymore.
1: Yeah, he homered today off, uh, off Scherzer. He's really starting to, I think, come in his own. I mean, he's never not in his own, but he, yeah. he started number.
0: He started 0 for 7 this spring. He's 10 for his last 25 with, I think, three homers.
1: So yeah. they should pay him probably, right, Trevor?
2: Yeah, pay the man.
1: Pay the yeah, man. For sure. You heard it here first. Um, yeah, so what, let's, let's, yeah. Pivot,
0: let's pivot from, from the, you know, sidearm conversation to like Mets spring training this year. Uh, Jack, I know I, you had questions. I'll let you start.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the, the big one for me, at least, who's been your favorite pitcher to watch? like on the, you know, in bullpens, that sort of thing? I mean, the obvious answer might be Jacob deGrom, but is there anyone else uh, or even just, to, I mean, yeah, who's who's, who's really uh, impressed you?
2: Let's see. I've gotten to back up games, you know, as a reliever, you kind of down there chilling while the, um, the starter warms up. So I backed up a couple of Strowman's games, uh, one of deGrom, who's obviously... Best pitcher on the planet, so it's fun to watch him, you know, work on his craft. Um, but the last game I backed up was Taiwan Walker, and I had never seen him throw in person, um, so it was really impressive to watch him throw with that split change and big curveball and slider, and um, he goes hard, a little short stride. Like it was really, really fun to watch him throw. He's he's nasty.
0: Mm-hmm. Who's like a younger guy who might not be as well established in the majors that you've kind of been able to. Uh to watch this this spring so far that you think Mets fans should maybe keep an eye out for?
2: Jeez. There's a few of them. We've had some, there's some young kids in this camp. You know, my locker is next to Pete Crow Armstrong. I know he's not a pitcher, but his locker is next to me. And for an 18 year old who's fresh out of high school, like so advanced um, as a player and as a mature human being, but couple of pitchers to keep an eye on Geez. Riley uh, Matt Allen's talented Marcel Renteria Palome, I'm not sure how to say his name he's great guys in the wings should be you know make, can move up uh,
0: hmm. so so you said Gilliam and uh Marcel Renteria, Matt Allen, and uh, who was the last one you said? Our Kilame, you said uh, Kilame? Franklin Kilame? Yeah. yeah, Franklin Kilame.
2: He's gross.
0: Yeah, he came up last year and had had some nice, like, long relief outings.
2: Yeah, he's good. He's somebody who could throw multiple innings. I don't know if he's a starter um, or a reliever, but he's – I watched him throw live BP. He's, he's
0: impressive. I don't think the Mets quite know what he is at the moment either. So you're not the only one.
1: Yeah, that's that's more their fault the past few years because he's been in the org for, I think, since 2018, right? They got him in the Cabrera trade, and they just for two years like didn't even really give him much of a shot. But
0: Yeah, they got him mid-Tommy John recovery at a, a deadline deal from the Phillies for a Trouble Cabrera. And so he didn't pitch for the Mets organization for like another year after they got him. And at yeah. that point it was like, all right, what do we have on our hands here? But he made his debut last year. And, and some duds as, as it happens with, with most young guys who are kind of in an undefined role, but there were some good ones. There were some good ones too. So yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from that there's stuff's there. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess this can be the last question uh, before we transition to our, our sponsorship uh, but cause we'd be, I think, remiss if we didn't mention the COVID aspect of this in some way, shape or form. Cause I know 2020 for you is probably very frustrating. Um, not getting a chance to, uh, you know, really even pitch as depth with Boston. Uh, you know, that was probably a very long year for you. Uh, along with, I know 2019, it was a little bit difficult staying healthy, um, how do you think the past year has changed you as a pitcher uh, or as a person? And, and, and what did it feel like to get back on a mound a few weeks ago with the Mets and at least try your hand again competitively uh, after all that time off?
2: Um, I would say the last year's been pretty influential. I My wife and I had our first daughter born in August. So... You know, that's a big life moment. Um, COVID, I think, changes everybody's perspective on, I don't know if you want to say life, but uh, at the time, you know, no one's ever going to forget. I don't think anybody enjoyed it. Uh, It's been a miserable, what, 13 months now?
1: Yeah, give or take. It's been pretty. It's been pretty tough.
2: Last last summers was was wild with COVID. Um, my daughter being born, the fires in California. Um, you know, racial equality, and, and the protests that happened all summer, and the election. And, too much to encompass in this podcast um but it's to get back on the mound and pitch competitively felt you know selfishly good i enjoyed it i think uh, being competitive and, and facing hitters again you know makes you feel i don't i don't know it's A 30-year-old, I didn't know if I was ever going to play again after last year. So to get an opportunity to compete again at the highest level is awesome. I'm super thankful. Let's also try to keep that in perspective of this isn't the end-all be-all of my existence. You know, I got a family. I got other things to worry about. So, yeah, interesting question.
0: For sure. Good insightful stuff. Very nice so shall we uh show yeah it's a little heavy there man
1: sorry yeah Uh i didn't realize i yeah
0: shall we shall we pivot to a lighter subject matter and, uh, and remember some guys
2: yeah let's do
0: it all right trevor you are our guest as usual with our guests we have you uh remember dude you know obscure the more obscure the better uh you know, whatever stories, whatever relationship you have towards them as a, as a fan, as a player, whatever, uh, can be on theme for today's episode. Doesn't have to be. So why don't you start us off, Trevor Hildenberger. Who are you remembering this week?
2: I got two guys. First one is a guy who played for both the Giants and the Mets. Um, his name is Edgardo Alfonso. Played their base.
1: Fantastic choice.
2: Like, pretty obscure but also like I think he had a long major league career like a perennial big league like he wasn't just uh, around for a year or two like he was in the big leagues for a long time and also JT Snow I think the Giants played the Mets in the 2000 NLDS and JT Snow had a pinch hit three-run homer that he like Walked out of the box and used his bat to like point fair in San Francisco. I don't know if you guys remember mm-hmm. this, but I was a big Mets fan when I was a kid, so they lost that series. Obviously the Mets went on to play in the World Series, but um JT Snow's pitcher yeah. was No that's uh, was a big one.
0: Yeah, well I was merely uh about eleven months old when when that home run happened, so uh <laughs> just <laughs> for perspective. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean Fonzie in particular is beloved here by by Mets fans. I don't know if you're uh, familiar enough with the fan base to to know that yet, but he had some great years for the Mets, like really great years for the Mets. Part of the part of the greatest infield of all time, if you ever if you ask a Mets fan, with uh, Olerud Ventura, and uh, Ray Ordonez at shortstop.
2: Wow, that is a great infield.
1: He's probably the best second baseman in Met history. I mean, it's interesting because he really did just become like a guy to remember when he left the Mets. He didn't really, I think he went to the Giants uh, the year after, uh, like his, when he left the Mets, he signed with the Giants. And I think from there he kind of had some health problems, but um, he was in many respects, he was a pretty legit hitter, really good defender. He was, uh, he was also a coach for the, they like, you know, uh, high A or I guess low A affiliate in, in Brooklyn uh, or short season. And they won a championship with, you know, with the Cyclones. And then he got fired at the end of the year, which I don't think anyone understood, but we, yeah, we're very well versed in, uh in the Fonzie.
0: Yeah. That was, that was pre Steve Cohen era. Uh, definitely turned some heads when they let let fonzie go from his coaching spot because yeah they had just won like the the low a championship the uh uh not pcl the uh whatever league brooklyn's in uh yeah yeah. but um and then jt snow is also fun to remember because jt snow had that uh instance what was it the 2002 world series when he saved dusty baker's kids life at, at home plate who was a bat boy in the in the o2 world series and snow scored on a play and then the second runner was coming home and snow had to like grab dusty baker's son like by the jacket or by the jersey or whatever he was wearing and pulled him off home plate as the other runner was coming home because the kid just went out to grab the bat in the middle of the play
1: darren was like three years old i think he was people forget like batting bat boys used to be like very small children they weren't always like adolescents or teenagers yeah and then yeah the the snow homer i'm not i was also i'm a year older than sam but i don't i obviously don't remember it i've done my research i guess or my met history peeling so i know that that was one of many like armando benitez blown saves uh i think they went on to yeah that's who they uh that's who we hit it off of and then uh I think they won that game, though. I think Franco struck out Barry Bonds on a pitch that wasn't really a strike. Uh, Yeah, that was the extra inning game. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the the home run in particular, but, man, I mean, that's another thing Mets and Giants fans can kind of share is disdain for Armando Benitez, right? Yeah. (laughs) a
1: good one. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jack, who do you got? Who are we remembering this week? So... I kind of, I feel like I exhausted my uh, supply of uh, sidearm guys when we had Josh Heschke on. So the next move was to find Mets who had like long last names. Um, And I ultimately landed on someone who was kind of recent, who I definitely didn't remember at the time, but now have a pretty good memory of. And that was um, Jack Reinheimer, who played for the Mets in 2018, I think. He was one of those guys who, like, was a middle infielder, but they didn't really have a position for him. I mean, he didn't really – he wasn't somebody that I think they intended to give every day playing time to. He do
0: was, like, a pinch runner. Season,
1: but yeah. Yeah. he's Something like that. Uh,
0: he's having, like, a low-key kind of good spring for the, the Mariners right now, actually. He's had a couple of home runs.
1: Yeah. The Weird. Mariners kind of take all the, like, Mets – Depth guys and turn them into good players. They're doing this with like flexing now. And I know they have Paul Seawald and you know Island Jared Kellenic's not really depth, but I guess that's working. Island of Misfit Mets out in Seattle, I guess you can call it. All right, Reinheimer's. You got call. Sam, who
0: do I got? I, I, you know what? I, I already remembered a couple of side armors, submariner dudes from our, our Hedgeka episode. And then I, I think I remember, so I remembered with Hedgeka, uh, I think I remembered Greg Burke. And then I think later on, I remembered uh, Ben Rowan, who was also a submariner. So I was looking for other dudes in Mets history. And I didn't want to go to like the the real easy one, but I think I'm going to go to the easy one who, in my mind, is easy. He's still a guy to remember. It's Sean Green, the lesser Sean Green, who, uh, who pitched for the Mets in 09 in 2010. He came over in that three-team trade with the Mariners and Indians prior to the 09 season, the J.J. Putz trade. Uh, And he was kind of a low, you know, not a a, not necessarily a sidearm or not necessarily a straight submariner dude. He was kind of in your in your ballpark zone, uh, Hildy. Uh, But I am remembering Sean Green, who was not all that good for the Mets, but he also didn't entirely suck. He was a dude who sat, you know, in the high
1: threes, mid fours, ERA wise. All right. Also now remembering uh, Armando Benitez moments where uh, he like came back as a giant to Shea Stadium. And of course they were like they were merciless, like they booed him and everything, even though he's objectively probably the one of the best Met closers of all time. Like and he I just remember that game. I, this was like 2007, I think he balked a bunch of times. And then Carlos Delgado just took him to like the, the upper echelon of that Budweiser sign in right field. To win the game like just the the and I I, I kind of feel bad for him because like all that good work gets erased it's kind of a thankless job but I mean yeah Benitez was I'm sure Trevor you have more memories of him than uh than both of us combined I'm sure it wasn't so great either when he Not was a, a giant once. yeah I
2: remember him blowing blowing a few games and didn't he have six fingers on his glove hand
1: I think that's a different that's that's a different uh, that's Antonio Alfonseca I think they called him like squid or something because he had a sixth finger don't ask me how I remember this stuff either this is like I, I I'm just a...
0: that was instantaneous you just pulled Antonio Alfonseca out of your ass as soon as you heard six fingers that's hilarious. well
1: there are how many six finger players are there in baseball I I don't know there that's... I rest my case the princess pride.
0: anyways trevor it's been an absolute pleasure man thank you so much for joining us on the pleasant good evening podcast hey man if you wind up in syracuse over the summer hit me up i got restaurant recommendations for you for you and the missus so
2: all right, sounds good
1: all right thank you so that, much uh, keep the 27k9
2: yes i will tr- i'll do my best
1: let's do it all right hopefully i didn't jinx it anyway keep it above 10 i feel like you know if you can What's that? Keep it
0: above 10 if you can.
2: Yeah.
1: not <laughs> be too hard yeah. for you. All yeah. right. Yeah. For, uh, Trevor, I really
0: appreciate it. Man. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah
2: thanks for being on. It was fun, All guys. Right. Thank
0: you. Yeah. All right. For Trevor Hildenberger and my co host, Jack Hendon, this has been another episode of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. The Mets fans, have a pleasant evening. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.